Well, it's been a while since we talked cryptocurrencies. The industry undergoing a very significant credibility crisis with all of the hype-fueled mania that pushed Bitcoin to $20,000 a coin. And uh, lots of people got in at just the wrong time, just as the hype cycle was reaching its peak. And since then, interest in cryptocurrency seems to have plummeted, fallen off a cliff. I wonder if it, that is the experience of tonight's uh, chief executive at Luno, Marcus Swanepoel, who joins us. Um, Marcus, give us a sense of the the state of the cryptocurrency, which never seems to be too far away from at least some scandal or scandal at various points. Um, how are things going in the world of crypto in 2019? Hi, Bruce. Good to be back. Um, yes, I think I just I literally just got off a plane from, from San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And I think when we look at the crypto industry, it's important for people to kind of take a step back and look at the, the longer term view and what, what exactly is going on. So, so, so strangely enough, I think the sentiment for the industry, certainly by the insiders in the industry and, and a lot of other players is actually the highest it's been in many, many years. Um, I think there's a bit of a fixation always on the price. And of course, the price is one data point to measure traction in the industry. But that cycle that you mentioned, we've seen at least 13 of those cycles up, down, up, down. But if you take a step back and you look at what's happened over the last five to 10 years, really, it's, it's actually been a tremendous success from a, from an adoption point of view, from a scaling point of view. Um, of course, there's always going to be short term growing pains with any new technology. So, so we're very optimistic, to be honest. But the hype cycle reached epic proportions. I mean, um, previously when, you know, Bitcoin went from one to two dollars and then from two to four, from four to eight, to, from 50 to 100, nobody really noticed. But suddenly it was as if, I don't know, the yeah. world woke up one morning and decided that this was going to be the new elixir of, of financial freedom. And, and it might still be the new elixir of financial freedom. Um, I think it's a bit too early to tell, but you're right. I think what really happened in that last cycle is, is the media really supercharged it. Um, I think there was so much interest and so much talk about it that everywhere that you went and you looked online or on a newspaper or listening to a radio show, watching TV, everyone was talking about it. And I think that just fueled the hype. Even at the time, we were very worried because we said, look, it's, it's, it's just way too much hype. You know, this is a long-term experiment. This is going to take 10 to 20 years to really go through. So, so you're right. The last one was very supercharged. Um, but again, it's pulled back now. It's, it's, you know, still at a level much higher than it's been the last few years. Um, and again, you know, for people, for example, at Luno and other crypto companies, we tend to not even look at the price because what we what we want to build in the long run is independent of price. Of course, in the short run, these things matter, um, but it's the same with the share you know shares of a company. You know, you are going to have some fluctuations, and eventually, it will approximate the value of the company itself in the long run, in the long term. What are you building? What is Luno? It's a crypto exchange, um, and for many people, they've already switched off. Going, huh, I don't want to hear about that. But explain to us, those of us who are still here. <laughs> um, what well, this notion of the crypto exchange? So I think you know again taking a step back, we you know never mind crypto. We, we think a lot about how people are going to be thinking and using money in the next twenty or you know ten to twenty years time. And you know we think money is going to be a lot easier to move around. Value is going to be a lot easier to transfer. Probably free um, systems will be a lot more interoperable. So I can catch a Pokemon Go and immediately sell it on Take a Lot and and buy something on Alexa or VR headset. And that interoperability also extending not just to the systems humans use, but also to machines. So if you have a self-driving car like a Tesla, if that's going to be communicating to your home with your home or with your Alexa, 
Um, why wouldn't they be transacting with each other? So people like to talk about banking the unbanked when it comes to cryptocurrency. But for us, the unbanked doesn't mean a billion poor people in emerging markets. It also potentially means trillions of devices that need to be connected to the financial system. And I think, you know, there's a long laundry list of, of things that, you know, we think that money can, can become better. And interestingly, when you speak to most banks, even regulators, and, and certainly fintech companies, people tend to agree that about that fuzzy future, about a better way to do money. Where people tend to disagree a little bit is is how we're going to get there and how long is it going to take. And so there's various approaches. Amazon are trying, Google are trying, you have challenger banks in the UK, you have um, all kinds of interesting companies starting off somewhere trying to build that kind of end vision. And we're doing exactly the same, except we've chosen cryptocurrencies, decentralized cryptocurrencies, as our main tool to get there because we think that if the financial system is going to be become more optimized and, and better, it's probably going to be through a new technology and not the existing system reinventing itself. So just to summarize, we, we our vision is to upgrade the world to a better financial system. We're not building an investment company or gambling company. We think people will use this in their everyday lives just like they use normal money today. But right now, we're focusing on just making it really easy for people to buy, store, use, and learn about uh, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. And the, and the learning element, as you rightly point out, is, is it's a big problem. The industry uh, just assumed everyone would understand what Bitcoin mining is and transactions and cryptography. And, and so I think there's a lot of work to do just to help educate people about what really is going on here and that, that it's not about gambling and speculation, but it's about building a more robust financial system for the for the next 20, 50, 100 years. Um, where are you basing Luno? I mean, I know it's in the cloud somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> where are you domiciling in the real world Luno? So, so, so we have operations in, in, in many different countries. Our customers are actually in about 40 countries. Um, but our head office is in, in, in London. Um, we've got office in Singapore. We have a big team in Cape Town. We've just launched a team in Johannesburg a couple of months ago. Um, and also smaller teams in Lagos, Jakarta and Kuala Lumpur. So just like Bitcoin is very global, our, our team is also, uh, pretty global. What your teams do? I mean, what, what is their job? What, I mean, one would think that in the world of crypto exchange, cryptos are created, mined, and then go into people's wallets. What is it for human beings to do? So there's a lot of work to do. And as you know, a lot of it comes down to, to, to the education part that you mentioned. So a lot of, obviously we, most of the company are software engineers. We've got some of the most talented engineers in, in South Africa working for us, um, that build the products so that you can download the app and you can buy and sell and, 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 and a lot of that work going into making sure that it's stored securely. So that's a big chunk of the company, but also another big chunk is, is customer success. Um, and this is, People helping people help, you know, learn about cryptocurrency, but also when they have problems, when they don't understand how it works and so on. And I think that's the important part. You know, if it's such a new technology, people still, um, want that human element and, and someone to talk to. And, and so we've, for example, launched live chat so that in the product you can chat live with someone to help you along the way. So, so we sometimes think of it as akin to a, a spaceship that, you know, is about to go to the moon and everyone you know, you're a customer and you're kind of excited to go the, to the moon, but you're also a little bit scared. And so we have this, this technology and product team that build the, the ship itself. And then we have the, the team that kind of help people that are like the stewardesses or the uh, stewards on the, on the flight. And we say, come with us on this journey. We'll, we'll help you. Yes, this plane might shake a little bit. We might lose an engine here or there, but we'll get there safely in the end. And, and, uh, and that's what we do. Are you a South African company? Are you a global company? What are you? We are a global company. So, yeah, so depending on which part of the operations, uh, you know, will depend on, on, on where that is. But a, lot, but a lot of people are in London and South Africa and Singapore.
I mean, you are South African. Yes. Um, you are the chief executive, at Linda, mm. founder. You've worked in private equity. You've worked in investment banking and consumer banking mm-hmm. on different continents. You worked at Standard Chartered, Morgan Stanley. You've got an MBA. You've got a cha- you're a chartered accountant. You are a, a chartered financial analyst. Couldn't you get a proper job? <laughs> I think in hindsight, I no, think… That's so horrible. Sorry. I just, no, no, uh, my, no. My, my Tourette's kicked in, yes. It's okay. But, you know, it's, uh, I think in hindsight, you know, uh, I think uh, South Africans tend to obsess a little bit o- about degrees and things behind their name. And I think we inherited that from the Germans. Um, and so when you're young, that's, that's the type of things that you care about. But I guess I'm curious and I'm inquisitive and, and, and I've always wanted to learn more about finance and, and money. And, 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 and at the same time, I was interested in technology. Since, you know, early age. So that's all kind of just culminated together. But I think, you know, the one thing, you know, you mentioned the Bitcoin price as, a, as, as kind of a measure of, of the industry. The, the other thing that people don't see is the quality of talent coming into our industry and, and, and the amount of people that are from the top companies in the world. I mean, we're hiring people from Google and Amazon and uh, the top fintech companies in Europe and big law firms and big banks all over South Africa and, and, and Europe and Southeast Asia. And, and when that big wave happened, you saw a lot more talent coming into the industry. But the interesting thing is, even after the price subsided, that wave of talent kept on uh, coming in. And even when I, you know, when I was in Silicon Valley last week, it's, you know, it's the employer of choice for many young, smart people. So if you use human capital as a proxy for success in the industry, then, then, then things are really being set up for success because you have some of the best people in the world that are getting together, rallying around this mission and, and really wanting to change things. And, and that in itself, is, is, is creating a lot of momentum. How good are we, uh, I say we as in South Africans, in the world of crypto, in the world of tech, in the world of code? You say you've got a big operation in Cape Town, you're starting up in Gauteng as well. I mean, do we, do we uh, box against the best? I think on a, at a very high level, we're very, very small. Um, if you compare us to Silicon Valley or to London and even some parts of Southeast Asia. But there are certain subsectors that, that, that sh- are showing a lot of promise and, and that we are probably out, um, you know, out batting that what, what, you know, what we should be batting at. And, and that would be, FinTech is a good example. I think a lot of people like to build financial products in South Africa. Um, and, and, and interestingly in the, in the crypto slash blockchain industry, there definitely we've seen a completely outsized representation of South Africans that are successful in the industry. There's, you know, um, people like Vinnie Lingham building successful companies in, in Silicon Valley. We have, um, people um, like uh, Fluffy Pony, who's, is, who's one of the founders of, of Monero, uh, Ricardo, his nickname is, yes. his Twitter Fl- handle is Fluffy. Fluffy Pony. But he's, Got you. He, he's, he's um, he lives in South Africa, but he's, you know, when, when that guy arrives in Silicon Valley, you know, he's treated as a celebrity. Um, there's a few other crypto companies as well. And, 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 and so interestingly, you know, cryptocurrency is overrepresented. Um, in, in, as South Africans, some of them are in South Africa, some of them are in Silicon Valley, some of them are in Europe. Um, but certainly there we, 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 we're packing a big punch. Um, how many crypto sort of, uh, what are you? Crypto storage facilities, crypto banks, crypto, what are you? Mm. Well, um, we, we also help people store their crypto. Platforms. Yes. I mean, platform well, is a nice uh, word. <laughs> well, how many crypto platforms are there in the world? Are there a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand? There's, there's, my guess is there might be in the thousands. Um, ones that are considered good, if I would say are in the tens, maybe, yeah, maybe like 20 or 30. What um, makes a crypto platform safe? 
it's it's a combination of a lot of things. A lot of the, a lot of it's internal, so it's very hard to see it from the outside. But the proxy that one typically takes for that is look at the quality of the team. Look at who the software engineers are. Who are the investors in that company? Have they had any incidents, you know, with security before, um, and so on? So so if you take all of those things and you look at you know who's raised good funding, who have good investors, who have strong teams, then the list becomes very short. Um, and of course, there's you know only a few that are that are very global, like Luno, and and those tend to be the ones that you know over time people aggregate to we also you know do a lot of compliance and and we make sure that we have uh, the right regulatory um um uh, frameworks and so and so what you over time you know when we met the first time i think a couple of years ago 2015 you interviewed me just after we raised some money from naspers i would say then it was really the wild west and people were all over the place but over time as we've kind of built more high quality products and services You've seen that customers concentrating around these high-quality platforms, um, and and that's been very good for the industry. I, I remember asking you then, "What do you pay your What do you pay your staff?" <laughs> and you said, "Rand, yes, and dollars." And I was like, "Well, if they really believed in this, they'd be paid in bitcoins." Has yeah. anybody get paid in crypto yet? They keep on asking, and I would love to, but the only reason we don't is it just complicates tax matters because in many countries, people want to declare their Bitcoin for tax, but there's literally nowhere on the form to put it. So it's just a little bit too complicated. So and, until some tax authorities, and, and we are seeing some in some countries, say, look, if you are going to get Bitcoin as an in income, this is how you're going to declare it. This is where you can put it on the form. Then, then we'll definitely start doing it. But, but right now, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's better just to go the old-fashioned way. Um, regulatory frameworks. I mean, how regulated is the world of crypto? So it's mostly unregulated, um, with the exception of maybe New York and a few other smaller countries. Um, there's been some movement in the Philippines, Thailand, um, and so on. And, and, and again, you know, when people say the word regu- unregulated, some people get a bit worried and they think that means illegal or there's something wrong. And it doesn't mean that. Um, it just means the regulation hasn't been put in place. And, you know, over the last five years, we've been spending a lot of time with regulators all over the world, trying to educate them, working closely with them, understanding what their needs are. And, and in that, during that time, we self-regulate because we know that the industry will get regulated eventually. So we tend to self-regulate similar to banks. Uh, we have similar controls that banks have, uh, have in place with some additional controls because we, we, we have cryptocurrency. And, and over time, you will see some countries starting to put actual frameworks in place. The interesting thing that's happened is that, you know, there were one or two countries that said, look, we don't understand this. If we can just regulate it under an existing framework, let's say for remittances or for banking or whatever. But the smarter countries have said, look, we don't really understand this thing. Some One day it looks like a payment system. The next day it looks like a commodity. The next day it looks like something else. So so why don't we just wait and just see where this whole thing comes out? Um, as long as you do good KYC and AML checks, we're going to be happy. And then over time, we will put the right framework in place. And there's a few countries that have those frameworks in the pipeline. And probably over the next year or two, we'll see. I mean, certainly we, we, we'll have about three or four licenses over the next two years. Um, and, and, and in five or ten years, I'm pretty sure there will be licenses for, for crypto in in all countries around the world. What are the vulnerabilities of these platforms? Because we, there's a story out of Canada uh, fairly recently, quite a big scandal, Canadian firm. The founder died, 30 years old, and he died with the codes in his head. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody had written these blooming things down. Um, and uh, I think when they managed finally to crack some of the, the wallets where, where cryptos were supposedly stored, a lot of the wallets were empty. That sort of PR is not good for you or the industry as a whole. Yes, it's very unfortunate because if I can put that in perspective, if, you know, 
the, the size of our operations and our company, it's, it's, it's similar to someone walking down the street and they have an option of walking into a big bank like Standard Bank or there's someone standing with a table outside saying, do you want to not rather trust me with your money? And then someone going and saying, oh, well, you know, you, yeah, I'm just going to give you the money. And, and that's the difference between, between the scale of operations. So it's unfortunate that that company managed to get people to trust them to give that money. Because the way we store the keys and, and most of the other big crypto platforms is with processes that are completely independent of individuals or people having to remember things. These, you know, I, I think I explained last time, but the one, you know, big surprise for a lot of people about cryptocurrency, even though it's meant to be this, you know, online currency for the world, most of it is actually stored offline. And, and we store it offline in bank vaults on multiple continents. And it's a bit like in the movies when, when someone wants to fire a nuclear weapon, you need these, you know, multiple access codes and they bring all the codes together and then they pull three or four switches together. It's similar to that. You can't just have access to one vault. You need to go to multiple vaults and bring all those keys together. And that's how you can actually access the crypto. So it's very sophisticated stuff that we and other platforms do. It's just a little bit unfortunate that everyone doesn't do it like that. But again, you know, I think over time people will uh, do a lot more due diligence and 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 this these things i mean it's already happening a lot less than it happened like three or four years ago and this time last week i was saying to kim reed it take a lot and they're eight years old and they still haven't made a profit uh, are your funders deep pocketed and patient they are very deep pocketed and very patient because we all know this is a very long-term uh, journey, but at the same time, we run a very, very lean operation. Um, in that sense, we operate more like Amazon, um, and 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 so we haven't actually been that pressured. We've been, we've, you know, we've had quarters where we've turned a profit, um, and 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 you know, we take that money and we reinvest it immediately into building better customer experience and better products and so on. So, so the business model is actually very, very sound, and you know, it's it's a very different business model from 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 uh, like the likes of a Uber or e-commerce. You know, it's 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 not a commoditized product people aren't shopping just on price people shop on trust and reliability so i think it's a very different business model than than you see from some of these big silicon valley companies that needed to raise billions and billions to achieve their goals with us we don't need that much money to to kind of build what we need to build do you still have naspars in your funding stable yes they're still one of our one of our larger investors um and what what's their game i mean are they invested in crypto crypto in other parts of the world are you their only crypto play that you're aware of um, they have also invested in other companies. Um, I know what has been publicly disclosed. They 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 invested in a in a crypto company in in the Philippines. They've actually since sold that business to to a really uh, really good acquirer, um, and they've also invested in in something called Backed. Um, Backed is really it, it's the New York Stock Exchange and and um, that have actually opened an institutional grade Bitcoin market that they're going to launch later this year and that's a very okay, very exciting an institutional grey Bitcoin market. It's the first bit of uh, jargon you've used. That's, huh? I've lost. I've lost you on. Okay, so so one there's a lot of interest from large institutions to participate in Bitcoin, and when I mean large institutions, I mean things like. Uh, big endowment funds in the US, big hedge funds, because a lot of people see it as an asset class that they want to participate in. But for many of them, of them it's very hard to access it. Like a big, you know, a $20 billion hedge fund is, is, is going to struggle to kind of op- download the Luno app and then, you know, buy billions of dollars of Bitcoin on, on Luno. 
Um, and so they need, they need platforms that, that can handle those volumes, but at the same time also platforms that are regulated. So it's easier for them to trade on something that they already know, something like the New York Stock Exchange or, for example, with Fidelity. Fidelity is, is, works with a lot of these customers and, and they've just launched a storage uh, solution for, for cryptocurrency. So, so that's really an, an, an entirely new market segment that, that things like Bact and, and Fidelity are going to open up um, with huge amounts of money sitting on the sidelines that want to come into this industry. And that's a very exciting prospect for the industry over the next few years. Uh, Chris Bononi says, when I Google the price of Bitcoin, the price appears to be quite a lot lower than quoted on the Luno platform. Why is that? So it depends on which country. I'm assuming he's looking in South Africa. Um, so first of all, when you Google even you know a normal exchange rate, what you see on Google is not what you're going to see at the airport. So there are differences. The price in South Africa tends to trade at a slight premium to other markets, and 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 the most common um, uh, answer for that is, is is that it's probably because of capital controls. So you know the price tends to people tend to arbitrage the Bitcoin price all over the world and 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 buy in one country and sell in another country. But because it's a little bit difficult to move rands in and out of South Africa, you tend to see a little bit of a premium in South Africa. And that's the that's the most reasonable explanation we we found, and 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 we believe it to to be the case. Chris, I hope that answers your question. Uh, you've raised $13 million since you launched in 2015. That's proper money. That's 200 million rand or thereabouts. You've had an A and a B round. Uh, you are, you've got 2 million customer wallets or 2 million customers, individual customers in 40 countries. Um, are you in line to be a gorilla in this industry, do you think? Well, we're planning to build a, a platform that, that a billion people will be able to use by 2030. So, so the ambition is very high. And, you know, there's very few industries in the world that can legitimately even think of things like that. If you are in e-commerce or, 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 you know, um, ride sharing, I mean, you have to build all this infrastructure, physical infrastructure and so on. So for us to say, look, we want to build something of massive scale to really improve people's lives. We, that's a very realistic thing to do. So that's the ambition. It's, it's, it's very big, but, Having said that, we very much at the early stage of the journey. Um, a lot of people talk about crypto almost as if it's done or it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, we've seen it all. And, and we're really just at the start of, of this entire industry and all the innovation that's going to come with it. So yes, the ambition is very high. Um, but we have a long way to go, but we have, you know, a team of over 200 people that are super passionate about the industry and about our customers and, and working really hard every day, uh, to make that, that dream a reality. Marcus Swanepoel, lovely to have you again. Thank you so much for coming in. Chief Executive at Luno, uh, a growing cryptocurrency platform, South African origins, but globalized and uh, doing some very interesting things. Thank you for explaining it to us. Marcus Swanepoel at Luno. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield was brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking, bringing you award-winning trade and working capital funding solutions to unlock the full potential of your business story. Perhaps as a registered FSP.